in this episode, there is a segment provided for us by a real cartographer, and I review the Book of Quests module, plus the usual segments relating to everything Mithras. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, Season 1, Episode 11, Cartographers Questing in the Realm. And welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and I am initially recording this with my stomach stuffed full of pancakes. Mmm. I'm not sure if Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day is a worldwide thing, but I really think it should be. I'm going to start the show by sharing some thank yous. First, can I say a huge thank you to Rael for contributing to episode 10 of the podcast. It was a great episode of homebrewing. And if you have not listened to it, then go back and have a listen now and come back to us later. I would just like to echo the comment of Prince Salaza on the forums. Please do a mini series, Rael. It would be great to have you back and contributing. Side note, I know I really murder people's profile names at times. Would you believe people are still posting on my rule videos about how to say theists? Don't worry, I am learning well and truly. And while I'm giving out appreciative vibes, thank you for the appreciation for the Animus rule videos. The second one, which came out a couple of weeks ago. I'm learning a lot about the Animus as I create the videos, so I'm really enjoying making them. I think an Animus would definitely be my sort of class if I ever got chance to play the game. And talking about playing, let's touch base with our favourite characters in the campaign updates. So, what have the group been up to recently? Well... Hazra, Hengis, Gulliver and Bartleby were hired to help an alchemist called Annalyn. Apparently, Annalyn had to run away from his grandmother's house as a huge beast attacked and Annalyn wanted to hire the group to go back to grandma's house to collect his ingredient books and some maps. In order to support them, he sent his recently hired apprentice, a nasally girl called Tiffin, sometimes known as Sniffing Tiffin, to help them on their way. There was a great scene when Tiffin's snoring kept the whole group awake, particularly those with high perception scores, and it would have been very annoying if it wasn't for Bartleby's clever use of a spell. When they got to Grandma's house, they found that not everything was as it initially appeared. They got attacked by apple chucking baboons and an angry grandmother. 
Yep, you heard that correct. Someone was not completely telling the truth about the situation. Finally, the party headed off into the swamp where they found the plant which Annalyn needed for his fertility elixir. And after a rather long fight with a few skeletons, fatigue really does take its course when you're having a long fight. The party managed to get the plant and head back to Lindo. Once they arrived back, they had to have some very serious words with Annalyn before using their experience roles to gain no more skills. If you want to see what happened, then you can find the whole pl actual play videos on my YouTube channel, where you can find also the rule videos, selected highlights, and my adventure reflections. Oh, and if you're interested in reading my adventure notes, then you are, they are available on my website, inwills.co.uk. They are free, but feel free to donate something to my content creator dream fund if you are able. I just wanted to remind you that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contribution. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me at inworlds at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Imagine my delight when I received a sound file from someone who would like to contribute to the podcast. If you've been listening to our campaign for some time, you might be familiar with a rather obnoxious cartographer called Sylvester McCoon. Well, the soundbite I received was from a real-life cartographer, so I'm going to let him introduce himself, how he got into fancy RPGs, tell you how he contributes to the Mithras rule set, and what he's currently working on. Over to you, Jim. Hi, Emils and fellow Mithrasites. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to contribute to the Mithras Matters podcast. I'm Jim Abbott, also known as Damon Jinx on the design mechanism and various other forums. As many of you know, I've been doing some of the cartography for the team at the design mechanism, primarily for the classic fantasy line, though I've also worked on Sarandib for the adventure maps and floor plans, the two training modules, Breaking the Habit and Taking Cover. I'm also the cartographer for Alex Green's Fear of Cheetah and the author and cartographer for the classic fantasy adventure, Trouble in Nevermind. I got introduced to RPGs via the Dragonlance series in the early 80s. I bought the basic D&D red box set, which I still have, by the way, along with the dice, uh, but did very little with it apart from the solo adventure. About 20 years later, my wife bought me the Baldur's Gate computer game, which rekindled my interest in RPGs, and I've been playing most Saturday nights with the same group more or less ever since. One of the things I've always liked about RPGs is the maps. Some of them, particularly those by Mike Schley among others, are absolute works of art. Mike, Jonathan Roberts and Dyson from Dyson Logos are by far my favourite cartographers. I've made some comments on another publisher's forum regarding the lack of decent material for D100 games. Loz got in contact with me via that forum and suggested I give him a call. Um... So I sent him an email uh, along with a sample of some of my writing and my one-page dungeon entry mentioning that I also did cartography. Uh, the style of my dungeon cartography was exactly what I was looking for for classic fantasy and um, I've, I've been doing the maps pretty much ever since. 
Trouble in Nevermind came about from a challenge competition over on the Cartographers Guild. The challenge was to go to a nominated random generator, enter some parameters and pick one of the 10 first scenario options that came up and create a map for it. My entry unfortunately didn't win, but it did give me the basis for this adventure. I pitched the idea to Loz and he encouraged me to do a proper submission, which was obviously accepted. For those of you who don't know, I am an eternal champion fan, particularly in regards to Elric, Hawkmoon, Corum and Erekaze, and I'm also a fan of the classic tournament-style D&D dungeons like Tomb of Horrors. Trouble and Nevermind is an homage of sort to those influences. We got into Mithras. Unfortunately, I'm not jamming at the moment, so we're playing Pathfinder, because 4th edition D&D didn't work for us, and we started looking at other games to play. Back when I bought the 3rd edition rule books in 2000, I'd also bought Dragon Lords of Melnibonet, Chaosium's D20 version of Elric, but never ran it. This led us to BRP and eventually to Mongoose's MRQ2 and Loz's excellent work on the Auric of Melbourne series, for which I ran a very fun and long-running campaign. Then, of course, we tried out Mithras with Caravan, and that is now a D100 game of choice. Once I eventually get back to GMing, we'll either finish the Spider God's Bride campaign, which is switched over from Legend to Mithras, or try our hand at Classic Fantasy. As for upcoming projects, apart from whatever cartography work comes my way, I've an idea for a scenario for Thinler that will showcase the social conflict rules. I won't say too much about it because it's very much in the development stage. I've, I've also another idea, um, based again on a challenge over at the cartographer skills, that I feel would be more suitable for Luther Arkwright. That one, however, is a fair way off as it needs a lot of work to be made into a publishable adventure and will feature cracking codes and a race against the disruptors' agents for control of an ancient machine that could be used to ill effect. Thanks, Jim, for that excellent soundbite. I really enjoyed listening to it. And it's interesting how you came about to be part of the Mithras community. I have to say that I'm very grateful for the design mechanism for sponsoring the podcast and my content. If you are listening to the podcast, then you are also supporting this adventure. So thank you for that. And if you would like to provide some additional support, then I do have a Patreon account, the link for which is in the show notes. All your support is really appreciated. Thank you. It's really fantastic to belong to such a vibrant community that has grown up around the Mithras rule set. If you are a GM like me, you will probably enjoy and then exploring your own adventures and narratives. However, there are times when things are busy in your real life and you need to have something else to run. Also, if you're new to Mithras or any rule set, it can be beneficial to run a published module in order to get an idea of how the rules work and what you need to include within your adventures. Well, when I started, I reached for the Book of Quests to start to play, and here is what I think about it. The sorcerer has returned to the realm. What are his schemes? Who are his allies? What malevolence has he planned? Who can challenge him and defeat him? Can the realm ever win? The Book of Quests is a massive 224 pages long, 
This is including the index and contains seven scenarios set in the realm. The book has all the maps and NPC stat blocks that you will need to run the adventures and plenty of background information which supports the GM to bring not only the narrative but also the characters and the realm alive. I have to admit that I have only GM three of the scenarios, Caravan, Beneath Black Water and the Chaos Mother's Chalice, but really enjoyed all three of these, as did my players. Although the scenarios are based in the realm, I found it easily adaptable to my own campaign world. Within each scenario, you are first presented with an overview, which provides a concise description of the adventure. This allows you, as the GM, to understand how the adventure will progress, which is also supported by the key points slash timeline, which is provided for all the scenarios. There is also a list of the NPCs, non-player characters, and the areas which will be covered. As the scenario is described, there are maps provided which can be used from the PDF version of the book, and there are additional information, for example, preparing to play the module. This, there is some excellent artwork, all in black and white, but still as stunning. The one which shows the devastation of one of the towns is truly gruesome, to say the least. At the end of each scenario, there are few possible outcomes, which really appealed to me as a GM since it provided different ways to complete the adventure. All the NPC stats are given, as well as full description about their tactics. In order to help you decide whether or not to give this module a go, let me tempt you with some information about one of the scenarios. Don't worry, no spoilers. I think Beneath Blackwater was one of my favourites, and I know it probably is the one which Hengis and Bartby remember with fond, or not so fond, memories. I mean, who could literally drop someone down the stairs? The party is approached by a local landowner slash noble, Lord Dryston. There has been a raid by the frog-like Brotakians who live in the nearby swamp. These raids have not happened for a long time and are generally out of character for this frog-like people. However, it is not the actual raid why Lord Dryston is summons the party. On their last raid, the Bratakians abducted his niece, Briar, and headed back into the swamp. The party is going to have to venture into the swamp, rescue Briar, and possibly put an end to these raids. However, when they actually find the cause of the raids, they are plunged into some definitely dark and black water. If you want to see how the current party coped with the adventure, then you can find the actual play sessions on my YouTube channel, link in the show notes. But please, 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 don't watch it if you're planning on playing the game. It is definitely full of plenty of spoilers. I've enjoyed a lot of modules in my time, but I actually found myself reading these, this series of quests for fun, really getting into the storyline and the events. 
if you are looking to add to your campaign with a series of varied, challenging and well thought out adventures, then take the party through the range of conflicts which the Book of Quest provides. It is well worth it. You can purchase this from the Design Mechanism web store for $8 for the PDF version. I actually ran Hazaret's Treasure before embarking on the Book of Quest adventures. This is also set in the realm, and I was joined by Mr. Pickles and Matt Eager, the creator of Hazaret's Treasure, in episode 5 of the podcast. If you haven't had a listen, it's well worth it. But don't worry, there are no spoilers. If you want to read more about the rules associated with Mithras or have your questions answered by experts unlike myself, then do go over to the Discord channel run by Rael and Bill. They have a huge amount of knowledge between them and they have a thriving community over there. The link is in the show notes, so do pop over and have a chat. They are fantastic. Now, the... The segment of the podcast that I can't seem to get off the ground. Have your say about something on the podcast. I think we might have to bin this one, but I'm so keen to let it happen. I think it'd be really good. I'm going to hang in there for a couple more episodes. So the idea of this is that you hear something on the podcast and you either agree or disagree or just want to say, well done, or I I like that part. And rather than just saying it in your head or posting it um, underneath the forum, uh, in the forums underneath the links, you actually record yourself and send it over to us here at Mithras Matters. You can record it via a free audio software called Audacity or just on your phone and email it to me as a WAV or a mp3 file to inwills at gmail.com. It would be great to hear from some of you and it would mean that you didn't have to listen to my voice all the time. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, and let's hope next month we have the new, improved, have your say segment. So I didn't want this to be a super short episode, so I have padded it out. That's probably the wrong term to use. But anyway, I thought I would share with you some more of my campaign ideas. Please don't turn off quite yet. Hang on in there. You might actually enjoy it. Um, so a while back, I talked about the orders of um, Lindo. And this week, I want to talk about beast handlers. Now, the Beast Handlers on Odes came about because one of my players um, wanted to be like a hunter um, from WoW, a, a beast master. And although there are um, rules for this in classic fantasy for Mithras, there wasn't anything really in the um, main rule set. So as well as getting together some rules to do with animal handling and law and commands and things like that, I felt that I wanted to um, create a, a group of people from Odessa that were known as the beast handlers. And this is what I came up with. If you want a beast and no one else can help you, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the beast handlers. 
These handlers are an order which have lived and worked in Odess for centuries, with even the oldest members of the community knowing about their skills and exploits. They make their living dealing with problems, meeting needs and indulging the nobility in their desires. They are not lovers of animals, they are exploiters of the beasts. Very little is known of the power of the beast handlers. Some say that they possess they are possessed with the power to speak to animals, others that they just preserve, persevere month after month to train the animals through the use of treats or punishments. They can be viewed with suspicion in some of the less civilized areas of Odess, with the primitive folk believing that they were once animals in a former life. This is completely believable, since many of the beast handlers often tend to become more similar to their chosen beast as time progresses. No matter where you think or believe that a beast handler gains its power from, they are an order which commands respect, since you, it would not just be the handler which you would be answering to, but their companions as well. The order has no set location which they call their home, roaming the countryside with their wagons of beasts setting up home outside city walls and making a living charging the local populace to view their captured beasts. Is that really a hellhound underneath that covered wagon or is it just a large dog? You will never know until you pay the entrance fee. But do not be mistaken into thinking that they are just glorified zookeepers, since their skills are far greater than this. They have a natural affinity to beasts, being able to train even the most stubborn or vicious. Members of their order have the ability to calm the most rampant stallion, train the most vicious hound, and even make falcons pluck escaping messenger pigeons from the air. Some of the order are somewhat anti-beasts and spend their time accepting contracts to rid the countryside of marauding animals from great bears to even fiery dragons. Tales of their exploits are often sung about in local taverns and indeed many of their caravans are accompanied by their own personal minstrels to encourage the exchange of coinage. All beast handlers specialise in their chosen beast whether that be falcons, horses or even rats. As they progress through the ranks, they develop their knowledge and expertise with this animal. This might not be how to train these beasts to accompany them in battle. It might be how to track them or look after them or even how to effectively kill them. Many of the older, wiser beast handlers take apprentices to teach them their trade and skills. So within each wagon, there might be several subgroups of handlers living in their own communities of wagons. Most of the beast handlers specialize in normal animals, dogs, horses, falcons, although there are a few who attempt in order to make their name in the order to specialize in more unusual beasts. It has been known to see beast handlers being accompanied by boars straining on thick leather leashes and even mythical beasts such as centaurs tugging at their collars. The degree of their sex success can be measured by the number of them which remain. Recognizing any beast handler is easy despite the fact that their appearance can differ greatly. 
you are always able to recognize a member of the order by their accompanied beast or their multitude of animal parts which adore their belts and backpacks. Being loving and caring to animals is definitely not a prerequisite to join the order. Weapons, armor vary greatly from furs, hides and spears to armor constructed out of chitin of shells. Skills such as tracking, traps, training and sometimes musicianship is the only way to train a snake, I hear you ask, by music. Each wagon is led by its own leader with an individual members of each order roaming through Odess trying to make their living. The leader of the order, Cullen Jones, travels with the largest of the caravans in orders, accompanied by his huge wolf who, if you believe the stories, he raised from birth after killing the cub's mother after she was savaging the local countryside. Both are old now, and there is constant rivalry within the order to name his successor. However, there are other beast handlers of some renown. The snake charmer Cedar Slitherer is a non-binary human who apparently has the power to hypnotize snakes. In combat, Cedar is known to hurl their snakes into the faces of their enemy. It is not known whether the tr snakes are actually trained to attack their foe or whether they are simply just annoyed. There are rumours that Cedar can actually use snakes as infiltration experts to gain information and assassination. The Horse Whisperer, John Stallion. John has left the life on the wagons to indulge in a life of luxury. He has gained wealth by working for the nobility and ruling factions, taming horses and training cavalry. It was rumoured that there was no horse in Odess that he could not tame, something which is worth paying for when you want your chief of the army or king to be riding into town on the biggest magnificent beast. And finally, the dragon slayer, Jasmine Claw. Jasmine, according to legend, is a dragon slayer. She has killed more than a hundred and actually killed the last dragon which roamed Odess, a fire dragon that lived in the north in the volcanic region. Since this heroic deed, she has mysteriously disappeared. Some say she died in the final battle, while others say she faded into the countryside, lacking any challenge to fulfill. Maybe, if the dragons ever return, then so will Jasmine Claw. I hope you enjoyed that secret look behind the scenes within to the Odes campaign. If you have liked my beast handlers or the legend behind them, then why not have your say and send me that audio file? And that's it for another episode of Mithras Matters. I hope you enjoyed that sneaky peek into the world of a real-life cartographer, the beast handlers of Odess, and the book of quests. So, until next time, have a great month of gaming, and I will chat to you all again in April. Until then, I hope that all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye.
content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.